Well, if you would, this morning, I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles as we continue our worship through the preaching of God's Word and then the celebration of the Lord's Supper together as His redeemed people. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7 will be our text for this morning. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 4 through 7. If you were with us last week, I shared with you that we are actually looking at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, which is one of the greatest sections in all of the Bible on our salvation. Always remember Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. This section is so important that I want to take it in three different parts. Last week we looked at verses 1 through 3. Today we're looking at verses 4 through 7. Next week we will take a little break. We're going to do a different passage of Scripture because next week is Mother's Day and we really want to focus on our mothers. Then we will come back on the 20th of May and we will look at verses 8 through 10. But this morning, I want to read for you verses 1 through 7 to give you the entire flavor and context of what I want to share with you this morning. The Apostle Paul writes, And you, Christian, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Well, our first point this morning is the title of the message, and that is, But God. If we are to understand that little phrase, if you remember from last week, you have to understand the first three verses. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we have one of the clearest statements in Scripture on the sinfulness of man apart from Christ. And that was our subject last week as we looked at the fact that before we came to Christ, we were spiritually dead. Before we came to Christ, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Before we came to Christ, we followed the course of this world and the leader of this world, Satan himself. Before we came to Christ, we were slaves to our sinful passions and desires. Apart from Christ, we were hopeless and helpless. That was our lot that is where we were before we came to Christ. And folks, that is where every person apart from Christ is today. 
Which brings us to those two monumental words. Ephesians 2 verse 4 begins with two life-changing, eternity-altering words. But God. But God. When we understand verses 1 through 3, then the two words, but God, come like a lightning bolt out of heaven. They do. But God bursts onto the scene with a spiritual explosion. It is an explosion that happens at the beginning of verse 4. Every phrase, every verse is connected to the little phrase, but God. And let us be reminded this morning that only God in Christ can save us. We cannot, we cannot save ourselves. And that brings us to our second point this morning. God saved us. That's really what verses 4 through 7 are about. God saved us. We did not save ourselves. We did not do anything to merit or earn our own salvation. God saved us. And I want you to notice four things that come from the four verses in verses 4 through 7. First of all, God saved us because he is rich in mercy and great in his love toward us. Verse 4 says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Oh, mercy and love are the very essence of God's being. And let us praise him and thank him for that this morning. He is merciful. And he is loving toward us. If he were not merciful, if he were not loving, we could not be saved. It is the very fabric, the very essence of his being. Notice verse 4, but God being, being rich in mercy. You see, salvation. Salvation is the intentional, deliberate, sovereign act of God toward us. God acted on our behalf because we were hopeless and helpless in rebellion against our God. So by his intentionality, his deliberateness, his sovereignty, God acts toward us in saving us. You see, salvation must come from God because it can't come from us. It is 1 John 4.19. It is that verse that every child in Awana on Wednesday night memorizes. We love because he first loved us. Why do we love? Why are we saved? Why are we born again? Why are we the family of God? Why are we the redeemed children of God? Because, because, because he first loved us. So first of all, God saved us because he is rich in mercy and great in his love toward us. Second, God saved us by giving us new life in Christ. In verse 5, it says, and I want to connect everything to that first phrase, but God... Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. 
I want you to notice the direct connection to verse 1. Verse 1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Verse 5 says, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when, while we, while we were dead in our trespasses, in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Christ. God causes the dead to come to life when we are united with Christ. At that moment in your life where you repent of your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that moment you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And by means of the Holy Spirit, the very person of Christ comes to live within you. And the dead are made to come alive. The dead come to life. The spiritually dead come to spiritual life. He made us. He made us alive together with Christ. Oh, we are being prepared already for verse 8. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But it says at the end of verse 5, by grace you have been saved. It was interesting in a number of commentaries. It says, I wonder... It makes you wonder, why does Paul deal with that now when he's going to deal with it so thoroughly in verse 8? And here's why. Because salvation is all of grace. He says it once and he's going to say it again. Salvation is all of grace and not by any human work, not by any human deed, not by any human effort. It is only the living God that gives life to the spiritually dead through the accomplished work of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. Secondly, God saved us by giving us new life in Christ. Thirdly, God saved us by supernaturally causing us to enter into the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. In verse 6 it says, But God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've realized this before. Maybe you've never heard this teaching before. But when you repent of your sin, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, at that moment, you literally, mystically, supernaturally, and majestically enter into the death of Christ the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and the seating of Christ at the right hand of God the Father. Everything is about us entering into everything he has accomplished for us. Notice in verses 5 and 6 how we are or our salvation is tied completely to being in Christ. In verse 5 in the middle it says, He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 6 says, And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what this is? This is Romans 6. Oh my, this is Romans 6 all throughout. In Romans 6, it says, if we have been united with Christ, 
in his death, then we will certainly be united with him in his resurrection. If we died with Christ, we will live with Christ. We will be raised with Christ. That is what Paul is telling us in Romans 6 and also teaching us here. And notice that he has seated us so graciously, so mercifully, so lovingly. He has seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you've been with us throughout this series, that will immediately take your mind to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, where it says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly Places. And now again he says that in Christ we are seated in the heavenly places. Or we're seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means at least two things. First of all, it means that the fullness of our salvation will be realized in the heavenly places. This phrase, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus is written in the aorist tense, which simply means that it is a promise that is so certain, a future promise that is so certain, it is written as if it has already taken place. It is a future promise that is so certain, it is written as if it has already taken place. Paul says this is so true. You can count on this so much that it's already as if you are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But it means something else. It means that our affections, our hearts, our desires are now in the heavenly realms where our Savior is. That is where our citizenship now is. That is the place we long for. We grow weary, don't we, of this world? We grow weary of what's happening around us. We grow weary of the fact that our bodies are wearing out. We grow weary of the sin in us and all around us. And our affections and our hearts and our longings and our desires are in heavenly places. You know why we feel that way? Do you know why we feel that way? Because we have been seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Thirdly, God saved us by supernaturally causing us to enter into the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Fourth, God saved us so that he might bring glory to himself for all of eternity. Verse 7, but God, so that in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages. Here's a very simple definition of the coming ages. It refers to the infinity of eternity. It refers to the infinity of eternity in the coming ages. In those coming ages that will go on forever and ever and never end. In those coming ages, God is going to show the immeasurable, 
forgive me for stating the obvious, it means it simply can't be measured. He is going to show the immeasurable riches of his grace. What are the immeasurable riches of his grace? It is the kindness, his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, I want you to know for all of eternity, for the infinity of eternity, God is going to bring glory to his own name because he saved us. Because he took rebellious, sinful people who wanted nothing to do with him and he saved them and he made them his own by his grace, by his mercy, and by his love. And he's going to be glorified and praised for our salvation for all of eternity. Let me put it this way. God's all-sufficient salvation in Christ that saves rebellious and sinful people will bring him praise and glory forever and ever. Our salvation, that's how great it is. It's going to bring him glory forever and ever. If you've been with us on Sunday nights, you know that one of our elders, John Kresge, has been teaching us about the story of the Bible, that the ultimate purpose of God is to bring glory to himself among all the nations, among all the people groups of the world. God's ultimate purpose, according to John Piper, is to spread the name and fame of Jesus to every single people group, especially to those groups who have never heard his name before. Oh, because of our salvation... He is going to bring glory to himself for all of eternity. Well, let me try to bring together last week and this week, and that will lead us into communion this morning. Once we were dead in sin, but God. But God made us alive in Christ. Once we were captive to Satan, but God But God raised us up with Christ and set us free. Once we were by nature children of wrath, deserving of eternal punishment, but God, but God displayed the immeasurable riches of his kindness toward us. And he is going to spend eternity bringing glory to his name because of his grace and kindness to us. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is why the gospel is called good news. It is good news for us because when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive in Christ. And with those thoughts in mind at this time, we will share the Lord's Supper together.